Jazz, as long as it's not Michael Bublé, that's I'm fine with that. Yeah, says Mr. H- Harry Green Connick Jr. Please. is is the true uh, crooner of our time because of his excellent portrayal of a military man in Independence Day, the film. Died in bravery, yes. <laughs> he but he was also he was also a fighter pilot in Memphis Bell, or he was on the, I think he was the gunner or something. But he died remember. in 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 Independence Day. Yeah took will smith a couple more decades to die after yeah that. between films yeah. right because they couldn't <laughs> afford him for the second one anyway merry christmas everybody how are y'all doing we're glad to be back um welcome to trinity radio i'm john the Fritch. along with me is braxton hunter back and- from australia which i'll tell you about at the end there has been a major shift in my worldview that some of you are already aware of that we'll talk about toward the end of the show jonathan yes but before we get into today's topic which is responding to Claims that, you know, the Bible contradicts itself all throughout the whole Bible. It's just a big contradictory mess, all this. Um, I did want to say that it's Christmas, and I love Christmas, and I've been, even uh, Braxton and I have swapped Christmas playlists. Mine is filled with Christmas classics, and his is filled with uh, alternative rock music. (laughs) Christmas alternative rock. And not entirely. Dolly made the cut. Dolly and Kenny Rogers both made the Heck cut. Yeah, I, uh, yeah uh, along with the Twenty One Pilots and the, the there's killers. no Twenty One Pilots. Is there Twenty One Pilots? Yes. Dadgummit. You. My daughter was into Twenty One Pilots at the time. Yes, okay. you 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 put that in there. Um, and, but there was Smashing Pumpkins and other stuff. Mine mine has. When I was growing up, I remember. You should remember this. You were a Southern Baptist in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. You may remember that 
Christians would always throw a fit about Xmas, and they would they they would they would say Jesus, not Santa, and all, all of these right, things. Right, right, right. Well, in the late 1940s, Gene Autry did not have this problem, right? When he re- wrote and recorded "Here Comes Santa Claus," mm-hmm. right? What, what does he say? He says, "Hang your stockings and say your prayers," oh, right? Yeah. He says, "Peace will come to all," right? If we just follow the light. So give thanks to the Lord above. Praise the Lord. Because Santa Claus is coming tonight. It's not it's not Jesus or Santa. Santa Claus is just a pawn in Jesus' game in that song. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> and then know. there's one that talks about Friar Brown or something like that. We're going to get married. We'll go see. There's another term for clergy there. I don't know. Yeah, Christ, Christian stuff is at the heart of the best Santa stuff. Yes. Right? But anyway. So it's not it's not Jesus or Santa. And, and, you know, one is the risen Savior and the other is a mythological person that was based lo- very loosely on any number of different things going all the way back to... Well, we just shared a video from Inspiring Philosophy that will take you through all that. Yeah. And so, but I'm so glad that when, when people got caught up in the 90s and early 2000s about the war on Christmas, I- I'm thankful that Christians have finally matured back to where Gene Autry was in 1947. Yeah, and just while That's we're talking news. about Santa Claus, we just want to point out to you who are lack theist atheists who have simply a lack of belief in God and are not actively believing that there is no God, you're not allowed to say seriously that Jesus is like or that God is like Santa because you actively believe that Santa does not exist. You don't merely lack a belief. So that's disingenuous to say he's like Santa unless you're willing to pony up and argue that God, so defined, does not exist. Right. right. All right, let's get into this now that yeah. we've done a very apologetics Christmas. Um, so I love Christmas. We have today, Jonathan, a couple of videos. Uh, one from Tiffany Vogue. Someone asked a moment ago, what is a Tiffany Vogue? That's a good way to... There's a good. It. You're about to find out. <laughs> Um, and let's just go ahead and jump into that. And then we will from there sort of flounder about giving an answer. Hello. Today's Bible story is a choose your own adventure. We don't use the word contradictions because biblical literalists don't like to admit that there are any contradictions in their holy, infallible word. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus 20, verse A. Sorry, I just need a breather. This is a bit much. You know, this person reminds me of like, if when you haven't seen someone from your teenage years in a long time and they've turned out completely different, except as an embodiment of the American South, that's how I feel about this person. Mm. It's like, I haven't seen the South in a long time. And now that I'm seeing it again, something has changed. Yes. It's not the same as it <laughs> once was. Okay. Let's, let's get back. Uh, let's get back into it. Now remember the Sabbath. Wouldn't that sort of insinuate that this is something that's going to continue on? Something that you shouldn't forget about? Well, one man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. But every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Romans 14 verse 5. Will you be remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy? Or will you not to? Choose your own adventure. Isn't it so funny how an all-knowing deity who exists outside of space and time sometimes changes his... 
sometimes changes his mind around about things. And they used to take the Sabbath real, real seriously, even going so far as to unalive a person by stoning just for simply picking up a stick. Seems like something that you wouldn't just turn around and change your mind about. Was this important or not? It's time for you to choose your own adventure. Okay, change of mind or change of covenant. Um, yes. Mr. Green reads, um, before we respond to that kind of nonsense, I don't know if you can see this, um, but you will see. Hold it back just a little bit. Oh, shoot. You started it playing. Yeah, oops. We don't have the rights to play that. <laughs> you will see Islands in the Stream in one of my playlists. So it is a great song, but that's not the... That, that's, those aren't the Christmas, that's not a Christmas song, um, but there is a Dolly Parton Christmas song and a Kenny Rowe. But I do have Islands in the Stream in one of my playlists. My playlists are epic, and of course that song would be there. I love that song. Anyway. Yeah, uh, so so the, so what we've heard is not even a contradiction, not even alleged contradiction. No. All we've heard from this person is that, look, it used, under the old covenant, under the law of Moses, it was uh, punishable by death, at least, in some cases, it seems like if it was a maximal punishment, yeah, the time. maximal punishment would be uh, death if someone did not observe the Sabbath. On the other hand, in the New Testament, under a different covenant, uh, it's not a requirement. What's the contradiction here? I'm not understanding the contradiction. Yeah. Let's lay down some ground rules, Braxton. Yeah, so the ground <laughs> rules for a contradiction, and this is going to be important going forward. And by the way, that's all we have from Tiffany Vogue. So for Brando, who says, I don't think I can get through this one, uh, we're moving on from Tiffany after this. But it should be noted that when we're talking about Bible contradictions, that there's a couple of ground rules that I think our skeptics need to uh, take notice of as they approach this sort of an idea. Is that, number one, uh, well, I should say, number one, we're going to work with the contradictions that you give us. So does the Bible ever correct itself or is a choose your own adventure where it seems like it's saying something else than what it, well, I'm only going to work with what you gave me. Maybe it does, but I'm going to work with what you gave me. Number two, you need to understand that when you're alleging a contradiction in the Bible, you're the one who bears the burden of proof. Skeptics love to talk about the burden of proof. Well, you're making a claim. The burden of proof lies with the person making a claim and you're making a claim that these two passages in some way are contradictory and can't both be true. And so if that's the case, then uh, you're going to have to pony up and give us the reasons why that's so. That means that all we have to do on this side of this is to offer a defeater. And a defeater is just any explanation here that would account for this without there being a contradiction. We don't have to know whether it's true. Guess what? We don't even have to believe that it's true. But if you're making the claim that the only explanation is that there's a contradiction here, and we can provide any explanation that makes it not a contradiction, then your claim that it must be a contradiction fails. So this may not be as easy as you think it is. Now, I, now it may be that somewhere again in the Bible, there is some sort of a contradiction or there is somewhere where the Bible corrects itself. An or choose unresolvable your own contradiction. Uh, yeah, unresolvable. But we're working with what you brought. And what you brought here is not contradictory. Now, someone might say, well, you should be able to argue the truth from anywhere in the Bible. Well, here's the thing that you need to understand, and I say this a lot on this show. When you pick any random thing from the Bible, uh, it's not that we think that all of everything in the Bible necessarily should be or can be used as an apologetic for the truth of Christianity writ large. 
Um, we have reasons why we believe that that God exists. God raised Jesus from the dead, and Scripture is is authoritative. But when you pick up some random place and you try to say there's a contradiction there, we're not using that to argue for the truth of Christianity. So if you're going to allege there's a contradiction there, then you need to give us what that why that contradiction, that claim of a contradiction, is the only possible explanation. So long as we can give you anything that resolves the contradiction, whether we know it to be true or even think it's true, then your claim it has to be a contradiction is out the window. Yes. But moreover, like we said, there's been a change. Understanding the context of the literature that you're reading is helpful, you know. Mm -hmm. And so when we understand that we're in a new covenant, when we, you know, that the Bible itself says is a better covenant, we understand that Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and that there's a new better one, right? Now, if you want to uh, honor the Sabbath, go for it. You know, and I'm talking sure. like sundown Friday to sundown. If that's your thing, mm -hmm. go for it. But when they were figuring out that God has now included the Gentiles into this uh, Jesus movement, that, that, that God is a, a global God that wants to be inclusive of both Jews and Gentiles. He's not just the God of the Jews only. Uh, the apostles sat around in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, tried to figure this stuff out. You know what they didn't mention? That when they said we sh the, the Gentiles should probably abstain from meat, it's got blood in it. So never mentioned the Sabbath. That's right. It, it wasn't it wasn't a major point of contention. Now there are principles about the Sabbath that we sh we can learn from that benefit us as Christians. A day of rest is a good thing. Completely changed the work week of the world, by the way. Um, you know, it is good to take a day of rest. It's not necessarily a day of worship. Every day is a day of worship. So. We, I view the Sabbath. Now, I know that they're the Seventh-day Adventists and others want to nitpick about this because they, they want to reinterpret those verses and say, well, that's not really talking about the, the ticket. Okay, whatever. My Christian liberty allows for you to think that and be wrong about it. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, uh, I don't. Uh, but as far as this choose your own adventure, that is a feature, not a bug of the Christ event, right? For some people, can't eat meat. Have to just eat vegetables. For people like me, I eat meat. Braxton, do you eat meat? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. So there is some about uh, this choosing your own adventure in Christianity that I think is a feature because we follow the spirit, not the letter of the law. So. Yeah, so I think uh, that pretty well wraps that up and also sets us up to talk about further contradictions because we have uh, another video I want to take a look at uh, that claims that the Bible corrects itself. So here we go. By the way... Um, I should say before we jump over to this, that this is not the video that I mentioned on Twitter that where I said, hey, I want to I want to gather up some contra Bible contradiction claims because I'm going to have a special guest on. I'll tell you who that special guest is going to be. I was recently in Australia with Steve Gregg. Now I'm going to talk more about Australia later at the end. But uh, one of the things that I asked Steve was, number one, would you be willing to debate a very interesting and extremely popular person on the subject of Catholicism? And he agreed. I just have to make sure that all comes together. I hadn't even told you about that. And then the second thing is come on and do a video where you just respond to every imaginable Bible contradiction that atheists want to throw at you, both that we collected before and that people throw at you live. And he acted like that was as simple to him as making his morning coffee. So um, I'm looking forward to that. But for now, we're going to go on to some just to whet your appetite for that later video. Here we go. So the Bible is full of contradictions and a lot of people just really don't like that. But what's interesting to me is not that it has contradictions. I realized that a long time ago, but what those contradictions are doing. 
many of those contradictions are written on purpose to stand in tension with and even correct prior writings in the Bible. So think about like Joshua 6, where God tells Joshua to go and destroy the entire city of Jericho, man, woman, children, everything. And how that kind of narrative is woven throughout the Old Testament, go and destroy all of your enemies. But then in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And then he says, in that way, you can be real sons of your father in heaven. He's saying God really is the kind of God that loves his enemies. You see how the Bible corrects the Bible when the Bible has better or more information. Well, that doesn't seem either contradictory or a correction. That's right. Okay. Uh, One is national warfare. And the other is personal, yeah, uh, local, individual. How you are to act towards your personal enemies. It's not a national enemy. It's you know, I should love my personal enemies. That's right. Uh, the the popular one that's similar to this is well, the eye for an eye statement because of the you you've heard it said thing. But the eye for an eye. I can't think of a more perfect standard of justice than eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Right. It's yeah. a perfect equality of justice there. At least that's what it's aiming at, and it seems to achieve that. Um, the, but then when Jesus says, I tell you to turn the other cheek, well, think about the difference that, that Dr. Pritchett just pointed out between these two things. On the one hand, what you have there is you have something that the courts are supposed to do, or we should say the government, so to speak, was supposed to do. And then on the other hand, what Jesus wants you to do interpersonally as one of his followers, Jesus didn't say that the courts shouldn't dispense precisely that kind of justice as eye for eye or tooth for tooth. And he didn't say in this case that uh, that Yahweh was wrong uh, to make such commands about Canaan for which he had given uh, 400 plus years of mercy uh, that never gets mentioned prior to that, mentioned very early even in Genesis. So... Um, so there's just no contradiction here. It's a different category. Right. It, it's complete, and of course, as we've discussed in the past about the turn the other cheek, it's really talking about if you're slapped, which is not about physical violence towards you. It's about shame. Shame. You were, about, you were, you were, you were embarrassed in public. Yeah. And don't be running to the courts over minor embarrassments like that. Right. Right. And then demanding this, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, you, you want a backhand for a backhand. Because or, or really, it's actually palm you know, is what it's talking about there, like a slap. It's more about shame anyway. So, yeah, this is just a big categorical error. Well, that's actually an important point I'd like to draw out there is you made a good point there that even though we think about someone slapping someone, say Will Smith, for example, slapping, uh, uh, who did he slap? Uh, Chris Rock. Chris Rock. He slapped Chris Rock. And obviously in our world, we not only see the shame, we do see the shame like, oh, the two dudes, one slaps the other. What's going on here? There's a wife involved and all that. Or maybe there's a wife involved. But whatever's going on with that situation, right. there's a lot of honor shame happening there. But we also focus on the fact that he struck him, which is a big no-no in our society. I'm glad that it is. Yeah. Um, but but it was about violence as well. Where here, we're talking about a first century, more gritty world. It's not so much about the violence as it is the disrespect. But notice who who heaped the most shame out of that event. It wasn't Chris Rock. Right. That's right. So so yeah, I mean there's there, there's there's is a wisdom there but this, this is a Siri a, doesn't understand. Siri does of course not. It's a <laughs> machine. But this is why I said at the beginning about Harry Connick Jr. he died in the movie, but Will Smith who was also in the movie took him about 20 more years to die. Right. Uh his career died. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Well, he did win an Oscar that night though. 
Heaven. It's already in the plans. Yeah, <laughs> it was already on the conveyor but, belt. But yeah, I, I just don't, I don't understand. There are tougher. How do you slam our end? There are tougher. I mean, you know, Christians have written large books on, you know, whew, sorry, on dealing with these difficult passages and resolving different tensions and supposed contradictions and all. You know, like I said, we're we're, we're dealing with what we're given, what we come across, yeah. right? Um, if you don't think these are the best contradictions, pal, it's on you. Yeah, but it's it's the uh, yeah you you thought it was worth making a video over, but it's really, it's it's like reading is a lost art, right? Mm -hmm. It's functional illiteracy, even though you can technically read words, right? Mm -hmm. Because it, it's putting no thought into what it is that I'm reading and how to put things in their proper categories. Yeah, and this is a great example of someone who, it's clear, doesn't want it to be true. You know, doesn't necessarily want the Bible to be right or, the, or a way out for the Bible of this alleged contradiction that isn't at all a contradiction. But it's like, the, the, it's like closing your ears. It strikes me as closing your ears off to possible resolutions for this. It's like, I remember uh, Blake Genta, he's another apologist. Well, to be fair to this person, this person did not care that it contradicts. He, he, what he found. He's trying to make he, a point that it corrects itself, it corrects itself, which actually lays another level, uh, puts another layer onto the begging of the question. Mm -hmm. uh, because what he, what he's saying here is not only is there a contradiction, but that he happens to know somehow that the point of that, was to was to undo what had been done prior. Yeah, a lot of people with the Sermon on the Mount get this wrong, understanding the difference between like national and personal, right? Mm -hmm. Because, and a lot of people misunderstand the difference in the types of introductory formulas is what they're called. Mm -hmm. So when you want to introduce an idea, if it comes from scripture, you know what the introductory formula is? As it was written, or as it is written. Mm -hmm. You know what the introductory formula is if it's not verbatim, as it was you've heard it said. Right. Right? So you're appealing to a tradition that likely grew up around some something grounded in a text somewhere, but it's not precise with the text. It's talking about a tradition that probably developed around a particular text, but he's appealing to the tradition around it more so than any sort of... That's why it's mm. not technically quoted verbatim. It's more alluded to. Mm -hmm. But he'll say, you've heard it said. Well, what have you heard it said about the tradition that grew up around a text versus right, 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 right. when Jesus wants to make a statement about a text as it is written, right? So there's a difference. You have yeah. to pay attention as to As it is written versus you've heard it said. Right. So you have to pay attention to the introductory formulas and what Jesus is doing in response. That was worth you showing up today just to get that, audience. Now, here's something I want to say about Blake Genta, a Christian apologist who's a friend of mine, and I encourage you to check out his stuff. And Blake... Um, pointed this out one time like just like okay so you have christians jonathan who are functioning on methodological naturalism because they're scientists so say you've got this christian who is a physicist or who's a i don't know a biologist or whatever and they're setting aside their beliefs about the supernatural or uh or metaphysics of that sense in order to try and look for even if they believe that the best explanation is something miraculous or god they're, they're still their job. What they've signed up for is to try and give the best naturalistic explanation for a particular event or thing in science. So even though they have these other Christian beliefs, set those aside <clears throat> and try to figure out the best naturalistic explanation, even if you think something is miraculous in an event that might happen. OK, well, it's methodological naturalism until you can't use that. Well, that's right. right. But but what I'm saying is even a skeptic could do that in the reverse. And Blake Gentile heard point this out. You could come to. 
the, the biblical text. And you can say, I don't believe this is an errant. I think it's a jumbled mess. But you can still go through the practice of, but just because I know I'm going to make a video on TikTok for a bunch of Christians in which these two guys from some seminary are going to respond to me one day, um, or just because I want to do the best research I can, I'm going to see if I can find a way that this is not contradictory. And I'm going to do methodological Christianity or methodological biblical inerrancy to try and see if I can figure out a way that this isn't contradictory before I go out and say that it's contradictory. Yeah, the, the claim is contradiction. The claim is not <clears throat> weird, messed up, kind of overturning right. previous stuff. That's not the claim. The claim is... And you you think this this goes back to like logical problems of evil and other other things because you're talking about a logical problem something is a and not a at the same time in the same sense so you set a that's the standard you've got to meet if you're going to use the word contradiction right <coughs> and so the, right. the problem with that is I mean when 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 you make that stand set that standard for a text you have to meet it you have to meet it and if you don't meet it you fail. Yeah, you can still say, well, okay, maybe maybe you have some sort of technicality. You can get that away from being a contradiction. Well, then it's not a contradiction. Right, it's not like you, you need to make a softer claim. Yeah, now you just don't like it, but that's yeah. irrelevant. Or you think that there was a contradiction. You think that the ideas were contradictory, but technically the way they were worded avoids a contradiction or something. Yeah, I mean, you could be a skeptic or a non-Christian or even, a, I guess, a progressive or whatever, but you could come to the text with the benefit of the doubt to the text and to the, to the author and say, okay, what are we dealing with here? Yeah. You know, and that's the same thing that, that people will say, well, you know, Christian apologists, you should do that with like other religious texts. I agree. I, I, I'm not disputing that. Yeah. You know, but... Utopia Buster says, yeah. it never ceases to amaze me how deniers make statements based on their demonstrable ignorance. And Jonathan Paisley says proper hermeneutics would clear up much of these contradictions. Now you might think that's Christian chest thumping, but it, but it's demonstrably true in a case where we're trying to take something from the Old Yeah, Testament we're not talking law. about biblical hermeneutics. We're just talking about reading, you know, standard reading and interpreting things in their context, right? Yeah. It's not, it's, that's not something that pertains to the Bible. You should use good hermeneutics with everything that you read. Well, let's jump back in. Okay. Think about how in Exodus 34, God says to Moses that he by no means clears the guilty and that he visits the sins of the fathers onto the third and fourth generation. So the children pay for their father's sins. But then in Ezekiel, I think it's in chapter 18, Ezekiel says that God told him to say that God does not punish the kids for the father's sins, that the righteousness of the righteous is their own and the wickedness of the wicked is their own. Now, Ezekiel wrote that six to 800 years after the Exodus, depending on when you date the Exodus, and it represents a correction. It is a correction. The Bible corrects itself when the Bible has more information or better information. Okay. So, is the Bible engaging in contradiction when we're told that the sins of the Father will be visited on the sons to the third and fourth generation, and then later says or says that God does not hold a son guilty for his father's sins or vice versa. Um, <clears throat> one thing we need to understand is the difference here between the consequences, God allowing the consequences of someone else's mistakes to play out to later generations versus God bringing specific judgment on a particular holding someone guilty for someone else's sins. It is true that, say with the captivity, for example, the decisions made by the parents are, are going to play out to later generations. That's just going to happen. If a mother drinks a lot while she's pregnant and her child has fetal alcohol syndrome, this, the child, the son, let's say, is experiencing the consequences of what the parent did. Now, it does say, I will, or visiting, uh, speaking about God's activity in this, 
But we see throughout the Old Testament, we see examples where God does something or visits something in in this way by uh, allowing uh, the natural ramifications to play out. For example, in the book of Job, when Satan, if it's Satan, comes to Jesus or comes to God and says, uh, basically that if you'll, if, you know, if you'll let me do what I want to do to Job, he's not going to worship you anymore like he did. And so, uh, we're told that God does this thing to Job, but how does God do it? By allowing the enemy to do what the enemy already wants to do. And so visiting the sins to the third and fourth generation makes a lot of sense. If you say, well, God's just allowing their consequences, the consequences of doing what he told them not to do play out. And uh, then in another case, we're told, but he doesn't hold individuals guilty for the sins of some other. Right. And Ezekiel, it's don't say that proverb anymore. You know, our fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. He's like, don't say that because everyone belongs to me. And the the soul who sins is the one that dies. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not being you're you're not being punished for this. That's different than having the iniquities visited upon you. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean either individually or collectively, the nation still, like the, the United States, you know, for things that have long passed our generation, mm-hmm. we still have the consequences of it lingering in, in our culture that, that we're still absolutely. So, I mean, it's like, it's like there's a difference between that and then me dying for you, my, like my dad's sin, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, or more, God holding you personally culpable and you yeah, dying because and, and he guilty, holds you personally yeah, culpable. Guilty for my dad's sin. That's, right, right. that's what's going on in Ezekiel uh, 18. So I, yeah. I, I, again, and, and, I, and I think this would have more force. I, you know, there is a problem here, I think, or something that needs to be discussed by people that think that Adam, uh, even though he didn't use this example, Adam, well, we are personally culpable for Adam's sin. Well, if you, you believe and, in imputed guilt but, of Adam. But you then, and I don't think that. Right. We, we think that we're culpable for our own sin and we all do plenty of our own sinning. Yeah. Uh, we, I mean, what we got from Adam, as the Southern Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says, is that we inherited a nature and an environment that is inclined yeah. towards sin. Yeah, we I call it the death nature. We inherit a death nature, not not and and, and death passes all. Even those Paul goes out of his way to say those who sin that it's not like Adam sin, right? I mean in Romans mm-hmm. uh, five thirteen. So it's just like Paul even goes out of his way to say people who didn't necessarily sin the way Adam did. So yeah. Um, all right, let's see here what we're going to do next. Well, are we going to let him keep talking? Let's let him keep talking. Consider this one, where in Samuel, it says that David is the eighth son, and then in Chronicles, which was written a couple hundred years later, it says that David was the seventh son. And we know the chronicler has access to 1 Samuel. We know he knows it because he quotes it in First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. And he chooses to correct the information from First Samuel. Or whoa, consider whoa, whoa, whoa. this one from the. That's a claim that I, I agree that he had access to that information, but yes. he's making a claim that he chose to correct it. That is not something that he's supported. He's just now, asserting he it. did choose to, to put a different number. The question is, why did he choose to put a different number if he chose to put a different number and it's not a copyist error? Well, <laughs> he, he says, well, number one, it could be a it copyist, could be a copyist error. error. But I don't like that explanation at all. But the, the, the thing is, 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 is Samuel talks about how Jesse has eight sons. Mm-hmm. The chronicler is not writing that Jesse only has seven sons. The chronicler lists them first, second, third, fourth, fifth, right, sixth, right. and stops at seven with, with, with David. Right. And so I agree with him that he has access. What I don't agree with is the idea that he's correcting the record from 1 Samuel. 
for example, one explanation for why he says says seven, it could be because one of the sons died. Right. Or, and, didn't, and didn't have offspring. Or didn't have offspring. Right. So there's no uh, legacy here to discuss. Right. And both of those would make perfect sense of it. Right. Now, you might say, well, I don't find that entirely plausible. Well, I do, of course. Yeah, genealogies are incomplete. Me and Jonathan live in these texts. Yeah, it yeah. does. But even if one just said, well, I just think y'all are trying to get out of it. Well, maybe you're right. But remember, you're the one making the claim there's a contradiction here. So you're the one who or has the to claim that the Bible's correcting earlier information, or, or that that's the further layering on I and, talked and about. And a little bit of thought would, would would number one, genealogies are notoriously incomplete in the ancient world for reasons that the authors had in their own context. Mm -hmm. Not 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 a contradiction, not a correction. They had their own reasons for listing specific people in specific contexts. Right? I mean, right. if you want to know. Like he admits, okay, for Samuel, I'm glad he understands that it was written at an earlier date. Uh, that's a more of a traditionalist position, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so they would have more reliable information as to how many kids Jesse had, mm -hmm. right? They had a reason for putting it. But again, come to the text with a benefit of the doubt and a little bit of knowledge about the ancient Mediterranean world, how genealogies work, and other possibilities of why one of the children may not have been mentioned. Mm -hmm. And you come to the it may not, your assumption is shouldn't be first it's a correction in this guy's thing or second it's a contradiction maybe it's oh the authors the chroniclers probably had reasons for why right assume they a omitted. minimal yeah. level of intelligence now i know that you guys always talk about how this was all written by goat herders but try herding goats sounds like these goat herders probably know a little more than you about some things anyway but um but but imagine that these people this person who could put together this document had a, had a minimal level of intelligence and sees the reference he's using or one of the references he's using and understands that he's not putting exactly the same number down. Of course he understands he's not putting the same number down. So the first thing that comes to your mind should not be that it's a contradiction, but why did he put a different number down? Be, unless you just want to assume that all these biblical authors were complete idiots and yet they could produce these sorts of materials. Um, I don't think so. But the bottom line is there's very simple. Remember, you're claiming a contradiction, then you got to demonstrate that. And as long as we can come up with any explanation that makes it not a contradiction, then your claim that it must be a contradiction fails. And we've given you at least two. Maybe the chronicler knows that uh, one of them died or one of them didn't have any kids. Amos was a shepherd and goat herder and <clears throat> yeah. sycamore tree guy. And he, he only wrote things that Martin Luther King quoted in famous speeches, right. but what does goat what do you guys have go against goat herders? Yeah, What's wrong with being a goat serious, herder? Man. Book of Amos. And I bet you would find it really difficult to be a goat herder. Not a prophet or son of a prophet, meaning he wasn't in a particular prophetic school. Uh, Amos is awesome. I like Heck books yeah, written by goat herders like Amos. Goat herders turn out to be great writers. Yeah. Okay, let's go back. Let just of Kings, where a, a guy kills all of Ahab's family, and God says, hey, good job. You killed all of Ahab's family. But then in Hosea... Hosea says that God told him to say that this guy is going to be punished because of the wickedness that he that he did towards the, the family of Ahab. What's fascinating to me is, again, not that there are these contradictions, but that the Bible seems to correct itself when the Bible has more or better information. So the Bible yeah, is full of contradictions. So, so first of all, before we go on to this one, uh, just want to point out a couple of people pointed out this comes up a lot when there are possible discrepancies with numbers. And so people want to say, well, it could be a theological point that's being made to say that yeah. David is the seventh son. 
so there could be any. I don't have to settle on any reason for it to not to be either a contradiction or a correction. Right. You know? Right. This is just another explanation. Now, yeah. this is going to come up other times with other numbers in the Bible. Um, some might think your mileage may vary. Some might think, well, that seems a little convenient. Well, not if it does turn out to be a a, a number that is pregnant with meaning in the culture. But at the same time, right. um, it, 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 it's it's more important that it made sense to them than it makes sense to you. Right. Right. It was written for you, but it was written to them. But I didn't bring that up as as one of the possible. But again, if we're just looking for a way out of a contradiction, that's a possible explanation. And that, and I'm saying that because again, they're the one alleging the contradiction. They have the burden of proof. Yeah. But uh, so it's good in that sense. But I don't know. Sometimes I do feel that that's a little convenient when people put it on the numbers. But seven is a pretty important number to put it on. Yeah. So maybe. All right. Uh, let's. So do we finish that? So, okay. So, so the killing, this killing that happens, there's a difference between was this guy supposed to do this killing and did this guy go too far, take glee in it, have the wrong attitude about it. And there is indication in the text that that may be why. Right. Intentions matter. Yeah. So even like and extent matters. So, so even God himself who does punish the wicked also takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but we know that he does it, right? Well, if, if let's say... If you take pleasure in the death of the wicked, even if he told you to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't understand the correction or the, you know, I don't understand the contradiction here. All you have to understand here is the difference between looking at merely someone's actions and looking at their heart as well. Yeah. That's the solution there. But I don't even see, I still don't see that as a like a... Correction. Oh no, that wasn't supposed to happen. I mean, that that would be like a Greg Boydish type answer, but I don't I don't see that no. as a correction. There could be purposes in the act itself, and then there could be judgment in the intent of your part in in the action. Yeah, right. That's right. So, I'd be very careful. All right. So, um, so that brings us to the end of our our list there. But that's just to whet your appetite because. We have a host, as you've seen on Twitter, I posted it and got like there's over 100 comments, uh, some of them with multiple lists of Bible alleged contradictions. And so we're going to look at those with Steve Gregg in the coming days. I just have to schedule a date to do that, maybe in January toward the beginning. And we're going to go through a bunch of those. We'll also let you know when that's coming so that it w- and hey, we're not going anywhere yet, so don't leave. But um, we'll also let you, uh, in, you know, submit your own. Po- and we've had some Christians submit their own possible uh, Bible uh, difficulties. So we'll do that, and that's going to be good. Now, we've come to the end of the video, Jonathan, to where we can take questions. So yeah. anyone who has a question, go well, ahead. Well, I did also want to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And we've talked make about a this. State, make a closing statement. We've also, we've made this point. But if this is a debate between me and you, I claim I won already. Okay, go ahead. fine. We've, we've made this point before that, you know, we both are inheritors. Yes. We both believe, I actually believe that the doctrine is still of importance. Now, I'm not an inerrantist in the way that, like, say, the Chicago Statement type people would be, because I think that that's out of date, you know, whatever. But the Bible is without error. You, see, I say it one way, and then you always add a little to it. I say the Bible is without error in all that it intends to teach. In the way it intended to and teach it. it. And I consider that under the umbrella of what I already said, but but it's good to explicitly say it. It adds clarity. And that leaves most that, that, uh, that separates the doctrine. That's why we're not flat earthers. Yeah. That separates the doctrine from the, from trying to smuggle in hermeneutics 
that have to be a certain way, right? Which mm-hmm. I think that, the, uh, I mean, the Chicago statement talks about hermeneutics, and then they went and made another statement on hermeneutics uh, off of that. And I think they're both good attempts, but I think that they're, they ultimately don't work out. But, but for me, inerrancy is not a sacred cow, right? Because for, for me, I can write inerrant documents all day long, and they carry no weight with anybody. Like, I could write an inerrant uh, book, uh, phone book, that has no mistakes. No, not even any typos. Just everything thoroughly checked. Mm-hmm. But that's not, that's not a religious text that was right, inspired right. by God. So when they right? say, how could man write a, uh, an inerrant book? Well, it turns out man can write an inerrant book. Plenty. What's your point? Inerrant, so, so my but point, we're not even claiming that. We're claiming yeah. men moved by God wrote it. Right, and, and I believe that the Bible is inerrant. But that's not the sacred cow to me that, that, that even if I could be shown that something along these lines, mm-hmm. you know, the number of chariots in Solomon's army, the, yeah. the, the uh, number of kids in a genie, whatever. If you, if you could show evidence that that was an intentional or, or, or an unintended mistake and not yes, logical I'm reasons. I'm open to or, a copyist error. Yeah, like or, or not even a copyist error that the chronicler intentionally. He just, just messed up. Messed up. That still does nothing to the Christian faith for me. And so I think I think that's very difficult to demonstrate, though, as opposed to a copyist error, especially with numbers like yeah. that. Now, well, I don't think get, the, I don't think the Chronicle first Chronicle the, Davis Kids was a copyist error. Though. Right. right yeah. Okay. I, I, I know. But I'm saying if you if like if you you don't think it's either one. Right. But I'm saying if you did, if someone wanted to say, no, he just got this wrong, it was not a copyist error, then. You, you would have a really hard time demonstrating that it wasn't just a copyist here. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, so, like, but, but look here, uh, like, like I said, RN. all I'm doing is giving the benefit of the doubt to the author. Cause yeah. I do agree with his statement that he had access to the prior record of first Samuel. So, yeah. uh, but is there a chance that he had other reasons? I think probably the death of one of them would be without children. Would yeah. Be that would the be most likely, perfectly. but, but it, it, it doesn't strike me as like a contradiction or even a correction. Right. And I also want to say, though, that I, I'm not opposed in general to the idea that like going back to the first video that in the new covenant, if you want to say correction, OK, but that's like the wrong way to frame it, because mm. it's like it's not a correction that I can eat pork. Right. 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 It's not. A, it's just it's new information. Newly permitted. Yeah, it's yeah. new that's now did Paul eat ham sandwiches? I have no idea. And I don't much care, but I don't see that as a correction that Gentiles can eat. It's not a correction. Right. So slam RN okay. says some theologians have suggested that Psalm 51 five suggests that David was illegitimate bastard child. I'm actually inclined to think that there's water in that bucket because, yeah. uh, I don't want to be unkind to David's mom, but the fact is, in sin, my mother conceived me. Now, here's what you do. I did this with a couple of people, and it came out consistent. Now, this is not the best way to figure out what the Bible says, all right, or means, but just try it because what the, what this exercise does is peel away the the layer of systematic theology that um, that says that David decided to stop here and do a treatise on uh, original sin, and that's what this is all about. Yeah. And I think it's much more likely that 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 what's going on here and send my mother to be go ask some people um, that don't really know a lot about the Christians or not Christians, but just don't know a lot about this text, haven't exegeted it or thought about the systematic theology of original sin and say, what's this mean? In sin, my mother conceived me. You know what? One hundred percent of those people are going to say 
Sounds like David's mother was in sin when she conceived him. Yeah. In sin, my mother conceived him. Or he's in bad thing. In bad thing, my mother. In bad thing, my mother conceived me. Yeah. Yeah. In a bad situation, in a bad scenario, she was being bad when she did it. However you want to say it. Or since he's talking about his own sinfulness, it still works to, to point out I'm sinful. I've been sinful like pretty much my whole life. And even my mother conceived me in sin. You know, yeah. that all of that works. Then you go over to the story that we've been discussing where Jesse is talking about um, or is bringing out his son. Doesn't even mention David. Oh, well, maybe it's because he's so puny. Well, yeah, that's what the cartoon movie showed when I was a little kid, but that doesn't seem right. David seems, whatever else you want to say about him or how he's described, he seems to be a pretty impressive kid. Lions, Lions, and he's killing all these. (laughs) And it also describes him as ruddy when he comes in, which many scholars have taken to mean he had reddish hair. Well, why is that important to mention? Maybe because it wasn't the same as the rest of his uh, kin. So I'm saying there is some evidence yeah, toward I, that I, I in don't, the story itself. I mean, that, I leave that in the possibilities. I mean, the symbolism. Well, I don't want to be mean to his, to, you know. The, is, just, is just hyperbolic statement about the sinfulness of the, uh, of himself and the world and all of that, that in which he was conceived and all of that. that. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you take it. I don't know. Um, you know, uh, knowing what I know about ancient, like, adoption and all of that, though, I mean, it's it's like legally though speaking i mean david i don't know i, I can't speak to how jesse felt about david right mm-hmm. I, I i can't psychologize jesse right and i don't really care to go ahead i don't mind uh you know whatever he felt about david versus the other kids it really does i mean legally speaking he, he's in the line so it's yeah like, two equally true statements here uh kevin says of course i think we know close enough what the original said we can never know for sure and then uh, down here, another true, hey, uh, butterfly says, I can't eat, ba- oh, that's not the one I wanted. Oh, here it is, Utopia Buster. No real human being can resist bacon. That's also true. Well, I mean, it's actually I know true. a lot of people, people that do don't resist. eat pork, but not for theological reasons, right? So, I mean, I know Gentile Christians who, who do not eat pork, and it has nothing to do with... Um, Theology. So it has to do with other things. Nick <laughs> says he wants to debate Steve Gregg. I need to get a date down for my debate with Steve Gregg. What are you going to debate? Egalitarianism? I'd be yeah. happy to de- yeah. to try and host that debate because Steve told me when we were in Australia that that he pretty much will debate anybody. All right. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna um, I'm going to and for our audience, by the way, if you're not familiar with James White's debate with Steve Gregg, I just saw someone saying it was the best debate they've ever seen against James White. So and it's like four episodes long. They did it on their yeah, radio show. Yeah, Leighton Flowers has got another debate with James White. Yes, I plan to go. Are we going to go together? If there's a way. Come on, patrons. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, yeah, for uh, real. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's. Um, a, I mean, I, I, it's hard to think about spending money during the holidays when I'm thinking about like the fact that I have a wife and kids and yeah, mom and. Well, but it's not going to be during the holidays. It's later on. We'll talk about it it again. It's like, I don't want to think about spending money. Okay, he's not going to go, but I'm going to go. I didn't say that I'm not going to go. See, that's how I get the response. I I might, I mean, I am a board member of Soteriology 101, so I might tell Layton to, we need to make an executive decision that some funds need to pay for our trip. to. Yes, it's going to be in Texas, I think. And Hey Butterfly says, it's only the grease and bacon. I love a good pork chop. Well, you're going to hell. 
Um, <laughs> not really. All right. So, so well, I mean, you don't know that. I, I, yeah, I don't know. What do I know? So, all right. But you're not going to go for that. Reason. Not, not, not for that reason. <laughs> yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. So let me, you can still put some questions in and I'll, I'll try to see them and, and get them. Right question. Yeah. It. Right. It'd be good if you wrote question real big, because I'm going to look away from all caps. Women in ministry is what he wants to do. Yeah. He wants to. Well, I, Nick and I have already been trying to talk about this, but like, I, 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 you know, I hate trying to coordinate people's schedules. It's that they have to do that. And then tell me. So, all right, look guys. Uh, so I went to Australia I didn't, by the and way. And there is a kangaroo behind me in the set that you can see. and That mysteriously deflates. Occasionally, that, that kangaroo, in the days leading up to the trip to Australia, I would come in and the kangaroo would be completely deflated and laying on the floor and nothing else seems to have happened and no hole that I could find on the kangaroo to for air to be expressed. So I don't know if that was the enemy trying to tell me, do not go, they're not real. You're going you're gonna to go over there, and you're going to lose the faith and start believing in kangaroos. <laughs> well, um, I, I went to Australia fully intending not to see a kangaroo. As you know, over the past year, I have shown plenty of videos uh, showing how fake all the kangaroo evidence is. I have to say that just like a hardened, um, uh, drug-addled, uh, you know, sexually active, just as far from God as a person can be, who gets saved and then becomes a hardcore believer to the, to the extent that they become fundamentalists about the faith. I want to say this is happening with me and the kangaroo because I had an experience, Jonathan, on the first night there as I was walking through kind of a wooded area where a kangaroo that was a good couple of inches taller than me at least went racing in front of me and one of the students at about the distance you are from me right now, which is about 10 feet. I maybe said more on the Facebook, but the more I think about it, it was close. And it was so fast, and it was shadowy, and it was dark, and it all happened so fast. But that's all it took. It was my road, not to Damascus, but to another part of Australia, experience in which I now believe in the kangaroo. Later, I saw a kangaroo in, their, in the zoo. With the, I went to the crocodile hunter zoo. You ever heard of the crocodile hunter? Yeah, Jonathan? of course. His son, Robert, is the most eligible bachelor in Australia and uh, got to see him, got to see the kangaroo, touch the kangaroo. So I, I, I am kind of like Thomas needed to see the nail scarred hands and the hole in Jesus side. I needed to see something more to believe, but it has been granted. The kangaroo revealed himself to one such as me. So up next, you'll be speaking in tongues. Hey, speaking in Australian, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Well, I, I was hoping that we would get footage of a kangaroo beating the snot out of you, but that my wish that didn't happen real quick back on theology. Derek says, K I asked Pritchett his systematic. This K was asking your systematic theology recommendation. The one we've been most recently pushing is Adam Harwood's biblical Christian, Christian theology, yeah. biblical, historical, and systematic. Um, um, I, I still think Odin's classic Christianity is great because it's a mix of, of systematic theology and historical theology. And that gives you, the consensus of, you know, what great theologians throughout the centuries of the church and uh, various traditions, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, whatever, uh, all where they all agree. Um, but as far as just a good handy, what is systematic theology? Here's the rough and ready. I think Harwood is way better than Grudem um, by lots. So I recommend 
Adam Harwood's Christian theology, biblical, historical, and systematic. Amen. I think that you should probably get uh, classic Christianity that should be in everyone's library. And I recommend um, William G.T. Shedd's dogmatic theology if you want a good, solid, reformed systematic can theology. We, can that, we throw in just for some light evening reading, just throw in some Geisler just because? No, I don't. No? They have it in one volume now. I know. The other three we just mentioned are all better than you. Well, all right. But anyway, uh, this, so the trip to Australia, I was with Steve Gregg the whole time. We talked about all kinds of things. We preached together. We answered questions together. We went to, there's a guy over there named Dan Patterson, who's a Christian apologetics guy um, who used to work with RZIM. And he now, he said, he heard that I was coming and he's a fan of Trinity Radio, Jonathan. And he set up, for us to go to a local pub and go in the back room of this pub. And it was filled with people like, I don't know, they said like a hundred people in this small room. And we had, we had uh, Christians, non-Christians. I think at least one trans person there. We had all kinds of people there. We had uh, Muslims there. Probably we had Hindus there. It, it was really great. And we, we stood there and answered questions. Now, one of the questions that was asked was, um, do, should, should we share the gospel with everyone? Well, yes. Should we share the gospel gospel with Russian orcs? Russian orcs. Now, it turns out I think they're making a slur toward Russian soldiers, but they said Russian orcs. And so the other guy that got up to give an answer, he said, listen, I don't know. My understanding is an orc is like a subhuman creature that is cannon fodder for Mordor in the Lord of the Rings series. Um, I don't know what a Russian orc is. But here's the bottom line. If you run into a being and you're not sure if it's a person or not, go ahead and preach the gospel to it. Yeah, that was the answer that he gave. I thought it was fantastic. But we did. It was like an underground fight club of apologetics in this bar in Brisbane, Australia. And it was so incredible, so amazing. We just had a blast, man. And there were some Trinity radio fans that turned up at that bar that live in Brisbane. And also there was another young lady who she was thinking about coming to the event that I was speaking at and it was not really an open event, which I was kind of sad about, but it didn't work out. I want to apologize to them. Also, I want to thank Jim Amberg for channel this Angel. $20 channel angel super chat. We are so glad to see you back and would love for uh, other people to give us a lot of money too. Okay. Grudem is not bad. It's just not great. Is it? I mean, it's a. I mean, it, it's been a standard systematic theology for decades. It's just. I mean, there's just better ones. That might just be a preference thing. Derek says I liked Harwoods as well, but Sheds was quite an undertaking, not for novices. Yeah, well, it's it's written in an older style, so it's a little bit more laborsome to to read. Uh, for some people, um, but I, I still recommend it. It's worth it's worth reading something above your level. You know, uh, Mortimer Adler talks about this. If you're constantly reading at your level, mm -hmm. you never grow. So you need to find something a little bit more difficult reading for wherever level you're at, and 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 stretch those brain muscles. You know. It's, well, good, it's good for you to, 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 to read something that you have to wrestle with and that's challenging. Amen. Now, 
This has been fun, but Jonathan, we've gone for about an hour, and I think it's time we end on time and wrap this up. But I just want to say to you all, I see some of you have been formulating some questions as we well have in this a, chat. Yeah. But we're gonna we're gonna answer those with Steve Gregg and we'll include yours in that list. What were you gonna say? Yeah, and we're gonna start doing a chat cleanup video every week. A chat cleanup video where Jonathan Pritchett just answers any questions that were asked that we did not or, get or to. Not, no, not, not, it's not just questions. Super chats. No, it's <laughs> if I see a comment, it's that you want to talk about. That I want to clean up your mess out there, commenters. Uh, that could be pretty fun because we do get some pretty fun. No, I was just going to say, I agree, Derek. I agree, Derek. I agree, Derek. And I get to talk about music with uh, Mr. Green Reeves. Yeah. Uh, honestly, Atheist says, oh, hi, this is an odd time. I'm sorry that we threw you off, Honestly, Atheist. You are a valued viewer of this channel. We I like you. the Tuesday switch that we made before we, before you left the country and where I sat here. And uh, it's too late in the day to put a vote up, but um, real quick, if you prefer Tuesday at the same time, go ahead and put a T. If you prefer Monday, go ahead and put an M. Um, and if you want to include a preferred time, you could do that too. Friday is just too... But go ahead and do it quick. Friday, our schedules have just become to the point where Friday is just too difficult for us. Friday mm. is pretty slammed because Thursday we have meetings and then uh, both on campus and, and off campus. And Fridays we have, before the weekend is up, we have to do Get all the stuff things we done were told we to do. Yeah. <laughs> so earlier in the week is better, Yeah, I think. Well, nobody's voting. Nobody cares. Richard says M. M T M through F. This person doesn't care. But the problem, the problem M, with M, M, the problem with Mondays is going to become when you have a long weekend, right? Tuesday. Yeah. I'm seeing more M's than anything else. Of course, it is M. So obviously, this is I think biased. we just do it whenever we we decide instead of letting. We'll let the analytics decide. Okay, <laughs> uh, I, I want to answer this last question because this is so. If Nick. And Steve, now Nick is, for those that don't know, is a top shelf um, theologian and he's working on a PhD right now. And so he, he, in terms of education, he's about as far from Steve Gregg as you can imagine, but at the same time, like formal education. Um, but of course, Steve Gregg has like a lifetime, he's in his seventies, so like a lifetime of experience that's, that Nick doesn't obviously have that much. And it's been all answering Bible questions. So, uh, wh what do I think would happen? He says, what are, what are the, what are the betting odds that Steve Gregg trounces me? Well, I love your attitude about that. I, here's what I think is probably going to happen if this manifests and I'd love for it to Steve Gregg doesn't set out to trounce it, people in debates. It's not, he really doesn't, well, that's the thing. He doesn't set out to, but he does it right. And, and, and he does it with robotic commander data. Like, uh, even commander data might not seem as serious, but, um, <laughs> but I, but, but I think what'll happen is Nick, you will roll out the best of the egalitarian position and Steve Gregg will more than likely roll out I think probably the best a compatibilist can do compatibilist. Uh, I mean, uh, not a compatible complementarian can do given that he's going to answer this all much more along the lines of, I think what some would term a fundamentalist. And so I think he's going I think he's going to give, I think as some of what he will say, people will look at and say, well, that sounds like what my dad would have said. But the problem is you, th this particular dad, you're going to have to deal with what he said and it's going right. to be tough. So I think that I think that some people will roll their eyes at what Steve does because it seems to much like what a fundamentalist would do. I think some people will roll their eyes at what you do 
because they'll think it's not enough like what a fundamentalist would do. Yeah, they're going to Steve uh, Steve is he's grumpy old grandpa and and Nick is flaming lefty progressive Christian. Yeah, and I told and I told him I told Steve <laughs> And neither Greg, one of those things is true, but it's just that's, that's you know, that's how people frame these things up. Yeah, and I told Steve Greg I said there's like 13,000 people on our channel who've watched your debate with Chris Day and a lot of them say Steve won and he said, "Well, Braxton, that doesn't really uh, give me any reason to think that I did in fact win because people that say Steve won, they may just agree with my position already. They may not have watched the debate or they may just like my ministry. And the same could be true for Chris. And this is of course true, but people, pe people like yeah, us, YouTube can, comments, not necessarily a scientific at, poll, right? Yeah. yeah <laughs> but, 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 but I'm a scientific poll for what Braxton Hunter thinks. Yes. And uh, so we're, I'm the world's foremost. Utopia Buster gave the best thinker one. On my own opinion. Yeah, thank you. What? Utopia Buster uh, answered our question with MT, which I appreciate that. Yeah, Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. Okay, all right, this has been a blast. It's time to start up the in uh, outro music. Yes. And uh, that means that we're about to leave. So anything you want us to absolutely see, you need to see it now. Steve is honest, praise the Lord. Yeah. Um, Don't listen to Christian music written after, like, the 80s. Don't listen to Christian music after that. Christmas music. Oh, Christmas to... music after that. Yeah. Don't listen to Christmas music after the 80s. Okay, whatever year that Mariah Carey song that everyone... Yeah. Nothing before, nothing after that. But that one counts. I don't hate it. Are you it? wanting to exclude it or include it? I don't hate it like other people Why is it, it the fulcrum? But it's just like that lets you know that it's Christmas in the modern world. It's, it's just so present <laughs> you know there's even a lot to be of, memed and make fun of it's just that it's so you're not getting rid of it em, it's gonna be here in a thousand years yeah. okay so but i don't know she'll still be singing class, the classic nat king cole christmas mm -hmm. songs i mean you know chestnuts roasting on those those kind of songs make you feel like Christmas. Christmas Listening baby, to Justin come. Bieber and Michael Bublé does not make you feel like it's Christmas. Bono singing Christmas Baby, Please Come Home from the Rattle and Hum era. That's on the radio. That's going to be on the radio this year. And then there's Father Christmas by U2 where they took a secular Christmas song mm -hmm. and changed it to be Christian okay. with Bono's angelic vocals. Bing Crosby, Gene Autry, Gary Cuomo. That, that's Christmas. Does Michael Jackson have a Christmas song? I'm sure. Some real missed territory if he doesn't. Yeah. Oh, a marshmallow world from Dean Martin. That's Christmas. Big fan. It's not Michael. Sing Bublé. it. No, we need to go. Sing it. No, he's like, are you really gonna make me sing I, it? I have a voice that can clear an arena. I, I got. Uh, <laughs> There's a reason. I got Vocab I, Malone to rap, do an original rap for I us. I can't sing. You can sing. I have no. I spare. I make people laugh in church at me when I try to. I'm try. dreaming. Sing it with me. Like, of like, a white Christmas. Like I'll even laugh when like Noah tries to sing. We're awful. No, no one in my family can sing, except for Zach. Well, praise the Lord. Yeah, he sings in the choir. <laughs>